My name is Aaron. I'm the teaching pastor here at Living Hope Columbus. Glad you're here this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, we're going to be in Psalm 23 today. This is our last week in this chapter, in this book. And so if, uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, it will be on our screen as well. I wanted to let you know as, uh, uh, as well that we support as a ministry an organization called 1040 Global. You've probably heard us talk about them before, Patris and Naomi Ramat. They've been with us on several of occasions, and uh, they are converted. He's a converted Hindu. She is a converted Muslim. They love Jesus, and they tell other Middle Eastern refugees and transplants to America that Jesus saves. And so yesterday morning, myself, Pastor Joe, and one of our church members, Benjamin, spent a few hours with them at their annual vision conference just hearing everything that God has done in their ministry throughout 2019 into 2020. And y'all, I'm telling you, uh, it is incredible. They had story after story of people who were Muslims that they've had gospel conversations with that are now open to talking more about Jesus and what he can do for them. Uh, they even had yesterday a gentleman that is still a practicing Muslim, but he sees such a difference in the Christians that have surrounded him that he came to this vision meeting to share with all these churches what it means to him personally that Christians are willing to love and embrace him even though he doesn't believe what they believe yet. Incredible. So due to our generosity here at Living Hope, we're able to support them as they take the gospel for us. Pretty incredible. Psalm 23, we're going to read one verse this morning. If you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word. We're talking today about the hope of the house. Psalm 23, <clears throat> one verse, verse 6. David writes these words. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Let's pray. Jesus, now I pray that, uh, Lord, you go before us. Father, as we spend one last moment in this chapter, in this book, written by your servant, David. God, I pray that you would open up our ears and our hearts to hear from you from this book. God, give us the hands and feet we need to draw closer to Jesus this week. I pray that your spirit illuminates your word so that we could leave here changed closer to Jesus than when we arrived because we were in your house with your people studying your word for your glory. Go before us, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, like many of you, one of the habits that my wife and I have developed is most evenings, not every, but a few times a week, we like to sit down on the couch and watch some different TV shows that come on on a weekly basis. I'm not going to tell you what they are because you will judge me and I don't care, all right? Well, we like to do that. That's one thing that we do as a couple. The problem is, is that we have two young children, one seven years old and one two years old. So uh, we can typically only watch those shows after they go to bed, which more recently has been 9, 9.30, 10, 10, 30, 11. Pray for me, it's getting worse as my kids get older. And so typically we can only watch those later in the evening. But the problem is, is um, if you know anything about me, I'm kind of an old soul as a human being. Uh, and so once nine o'clock or so rolls around, I turn into a pumpkin and it's lights out for me. I, it's just the way I'm wired. And typically what happens is Liz will say, hey, let's watch this television show. And I'll sit down on the couch. It might be 10 o'clock and she'll turn it on. And 10 minutes later, I just get clobbered in the chest because I have fallen asleep while we're watching that show. So then what will happen is next week when that show comes back on again, uh, she'll turn it on again. And I'm so thankful for one thing that most television shows do, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, 
is they always recap what happened the previous week for guys like me. They typically spend those first two or three minutes and they'll show you different clips from what happened in the previous weeks to catch you up on what everything that has occurred throughout the entire season in every episode so that when you turn on the show now, you should be fully caught up and fully engaged in what's happening in that episode. You see, because here's the truth. They're they're showing you what you uh, have forgotten or what you haven't seen yet so that you can fully engage in and understood what's happening now. We've all watched a movie or a television show with somebody who's never seen it before. And you're about 10 minutes in and they're like, oh, who's that? Who's that character? Wait, why did that happen? Where are they? What are they doing? You're the most annoying people on the planet, by the way. All right. (laughs) We've all been with that person before. But here's the point. If you know what came before, you can fully understand what's happening now. If you have a grasp on what happened before, what's happening now makes perfect sense. It's the old phrase, maybe you've heard this, that many things in life can only be understood in reverse. You know, we have to look back on the highlight reel to understand what's happening in the present. And that's what David does in verse 6 for us in Psalm 23. What happened, life can only be understood fully in reverse. And that's where David is taking us here in verse 6. Psalm 23, 6 can only be fully understood in light of verses 1 through 5. It's why we often tout as a church that you need to study the Bible in context. One of the worst Bible study methods on the planet is to go, all right, Lord, what do you want to teach me today? I'll open up to right here and start reading. That's dangerous. And the same thing happens here in Psalm 23, verse 6. If we don't fully grasp and understand verses 1 through 5, verse 6 makes absolutely no sense. Because in verse 6, David gives us a promise from the Lord that if we read it by itself, out of context, without the highlight reel of verses 1 through 5, it's a promise that we are just like, well, that's not true because I've experienced the exact opposite. What God is supposedly promising in verse 6 isn't true because I haven't experienced it that way. But when you read it in context of verses 1 through 5, you step back and you go, oh, now I understand why the Lord could promise me that. Now I get what he's trying to say. So let's go back through our highlight real quick. For those of you that haven't been here, we're going to give you the the recap of verses 1 through 5. Here's what we've learned in Psalm 23 so far. In verse 1, we learned that God is personal. Verse 1 says that the Lord is my shepherd. That means that we are invited to personally know God and he cares for us. We serve a God that is not distant from us, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, he instead draws close to us. He's a personal God. Second part of verse 1, we learned about God's provision. 23 verse 1 says this, I have what I need. We talked about that week, how often we don't feel that this is true, but we let truth trump feelings 100% of the time. And if this verse is true, it means I have everything I need to love and serve Jesus right where I am right now. I lack nothing. I lack nothing I need to serve Jesus. Philippians 4, Paul said, I've learned to be content in all things, abundance and want, in need and abundance. I'm content. Why? Because I have everything I need to serve Jesus right now. Third thing we learned in Psalm 23, we learned about God's peace. Verse uh, 2 in Psalm 23, verse 2, the first part says, He lets me lie down in green pastures. We talked about there's several things that a sheep needs to actually lie down in peace in a pasture. And for us as Christians, we find peace in the shadow of Jesus. In the shadow of Jesus where we find rest and where we find peace. In his presence is where I can fully be at peace as a human being. 
The second half of verse 2 into verse 3, we talked about God's providence. Look at this, starting in verse 2, the second half. It says, He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along right paths for His name's sake. That week we talked about how you and I, we were created to walk with Jesus. If you were a human, you were created to walk and be with Jesus, trusting Him on this journey that He's navigating you through this life to lead you, hear this, where He needs you to go, where He wants you to go, not where you always want to go. Don't forget that. Sometimes we're going to journey through life. We're going to step back and we're going to go, Lord, why am I here? I don't want to be at this spot, in this place, at this time, doing this thing. And the Lord steps back and he goes, chill out. I'm in charge. I'm navigating. You trust me to lead you on right paths. Here's the next thing we learned. Verse 4, the first part, we learned about God's presence. David wrote in verse 4, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. Why? Because you are with me. We talked about as Jesus navigates me down these paths and valleys and roads, that part of the right path is the dark valley. We shared that week. Several of you are walking through this dark valley right now. And I hope that we see on the authority of God's word that you're okay. You're right where Jesus has you. He's not abandoned you. He is with you. He knows where you are. The shepherd is with you in the valley. It's okay. And because he's with me in the valley, David says, I do not fear. Why? Because he's there too. It's like when somebody comes up to you and says, my dad is bigger than your dad. My dad can beat your dad up. You step up and you go, "Uh uh-uh, you ain't met my dad. My dad's bigger than your... My dad's here, so I can say that. My dad's bigger than yours. Here's the next thing we learned. We learned about God's protection, second half of verse 4. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. We said the rod was a tool of correction, the little club that the shepherd would use to pop his sheep on the head. For us, that's the word of God. It's why we got to bury our faces in this book. Because this is where the Lord corrects us when we question him. He takes us back to the truth of who he is and what he's doing. The staff, we said, was a tool of guidance to draw us back to the shepherd and to his people. For us, that's the Spirit of God. It's what binds us together as the local church. And in those things, the Word of God and the Spirit of God, we find comfort as God's people. And then the last thing we learned last week, we talked about God's proximity. Psalm 23, verse 5, says, As you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Simple truth, in the midst of life's battles, thank God I'm still at the king's table. You understand that? What did David say? He said, first off, um, you prepare a table before me. We said last week that nobody gets to sit at a king's table unless you have some kind of merit coming with you. Whose merit do we go to God's table on? We go on the, the, the shoulders of Jesus. That's whose merit we come on. He invites us to sit at his table. Then what does he do? He anoints our heads with oil. We said that that's the spirit of God providing the peace and the comfort that we need when our enemies are surrounding us. I'm sure we all feel that. And then lastly, my cup overflows. The cup of wrath and the cup of goodness are found in Scripture. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are no longer accountable to drink from the cup of wrath. Instead, we get the cup of God's goodness in this life overflowing into the next one. Because Jesus is good. That's God's proximity. Now, listen. If all of those things are true, David's experienced all of those firsthand. David reminds us of this promise in verse 6. And here it is that we can rest in the past and future promise of God that we see in this last verse. We already journeyed through one through five, navigating these, trying to understand what the Lord was teaching us here, reading it in context to understand how, how this all actually works in the life of a Christian. 
If we read verse 6 by itself, friends, here's the reality. We're going to read that. We see something like, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. I step back at some, that sometimes and I'm like, nuh-uh. Right now, life doesn't feel good. Right now, I'm, because of what's going on around me, I'm questioning the goodness of God. I know some of you are there. Right now, because what's going on around me, I'm wondering if his faithful love is being expressed to me because if God loved me, why is this happening? Those don't seem to work together. They don't make sense. Lord, if this is true, I don't feel it. David says, go back to the highlight reel. See how it actually plays out. In light of verse 1 through 5, verse 6 makes sense. Now let's go back through these real quick. And I want us, I want us to look at the promise from the past. The promise from the past. Look at first part of verse 6 again. Goodness and faithful love will do what? They'll pursue me all the days of my life. What's verse 6 talking about? What is the goodness of God that he's talking about here in this verse? The goodness is simply this. This is so simplistic. Write this down if you take notes. The goodness of God is simply those things that will benefit me in this life. Super simple. The things that will benefit me in this life. It's God showering blessings upon me simply because I'm part of his family. Look at this. Matthew chapter 7 verses 9 through 11. It's Jesus speaking. He says this. Who among you, if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Pause. Try that today at lunch. See what your kids do. All right? It's not going to work. Because you're, you're not a bad parent, hopefully. Good parents wouldn't do that. Then what do you say? Or if his son asks for a fish or a fish stick at my house, asks for a fish stick, we'll give him a snake. Pause. Try that today at lunch. Please don't. All right? We'd have to call protective services on you and that would be bad. All right? So please don't do that. Then, then look at what Jesus says. If you then who are evil, thanks Jesus, appreciate it, if you then who are evil, you know how to give, give good gifts to your children. We all do that all the time. Give gifts to our children. That's part of what we do as parents. How much more? If we're good parents, God's a great parent. We're evil. He's good. He's better than we are. Look at what he says. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, it's a benefit of being part of the family. Because I'm part of God's family, I'm blessed by his goodness. It's what a good father does. You've maybe heard this expressed before. It's this theological word called grace. It's God giving me these things that I do not deserve. But I get them because I'm part of his family. Now watch this. In scripture, there's two kinds of blessings present. There's general blessings. Then there's specific blessings. Let's talk general blessings for a second here. Matthew 5, 45. For God does what? He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. Did you know that right now that there's people living in a mile vicinity of where we are right now that do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, therefore biblically they're an enemy of God, that they woke up and they felt the exact same sun beating on their face that you did? You know why they felt that? Because God's good. That the snow that you and I drove around and saw glistening on the trees yesterday. That you as a follower of Jesus who loved Jesus and served Jesus and pursued Jesus saw the exact same snow that people who are blatant enemies of God saw. Why? It's just a general blessing of being in the proximity of the creator. You don't have to be part of his family to receive certain blessings. But then there's specific blessings. There's blessings that are giving to, given to people that are only part of his family. It's this idea of being in proximity to God or being in the family of God. There's a difference. Let me give you an illustration here. At my, at my house this December, 
Uh, I love Christmas. That's not, a, not something that's hidden around here. I absolutely love Christmas. And at our house, we decorate for Christmas. This year, we put lights all up on the outside of our house, had, uh, I think, eight inflatables in my front yard. I'm that guy, all right? Eight inflatables in the front yard. Man, we just, it was real nice looking, the little shower light thing that sprays on your house. Awesome. I love it. But then inside my house, there were different things. Inside my house, you could go and you could see a Christmas tree decorated with lights. You could see the Charlie Brown tree on the fireplace. You could see the stockings hung on the wall. You could see different decorations all over the place. My neighbors, they live around me. They're in proximity of me. They got to enjoy the exterior of my home. The interior of my house, where my family lives, the stuff in there was reserved for them. That's the difference. You get certain blessings because you're simply in the proximity of the creator. The sun, the moon, the stars, oxygen, all of these things that we see around us. That's because you're in his proximity. But there's some things that are reserved because you're part of his family. You've been invited to live in his house. You've been invited to come to his table and be with him. So let's look back at these first five verses real quick. How does God's goodness manifest in verses one through five? Because then it's going to make verse six make sense. Watch this. In verse 1, we see that because the Lord is my shepherd, I get to know him personally. He's not a distant God. He's close. I don't deserve it, but he gives it to me. In verse 1, we also see that he gives me, he blesses me with everything I need to love and serve him. I don't deserve it, but he's a good God, so he lets me have those things. In verse 2, we see that his goodness gives me peace in the midst of my life's chaos. Verses 2 to 3, we see that his goodness lets me journey through life with him as he directs my steps. It's a specific blessing. In verse 3, we see that his goodness gives me his presence in the midst of the dark valleys. And when my life is falling apart, his goodness doesn't let me walk alone. It's an expression of grace. In verse 4, his goodness gives me the word of God and the spirit of God so that I can navigate life well as I walk with him. In verse 5, his goodness invited me to his table, a place I did not deserve to be at. But because he's good, I'm graciously invited to it. Do you see it? When David says that God's goodness has followed him all the days of his life, David's remembering back through verses 1 through 5, the peaks and the valleys. Because in every step of the way, he sees that God was good to him. Insert yourself in the story. God has been good to you. What's his faithful love here? Faithful love is often the opposite of grace. Grace is uh, getting what I do not deserve. Faithful love is mercy. It's not getting what I do deserve. Grace and mercy, these two opposite ends of the spectrum. God's faithful love is him expressing mercy to me, even though I do not deserve it. I deserve to be treated as his enemy. Romans 5 and 6 talk about that. But God's mercy prevents that from happening. His mercy in verse 1 of Psalm 23 took me under his care when I didn't deserve it. His mercy at the second half of verse 1, although I didn't deserve his blessing, he graciously and mercifully gives it to me. His mercy in verse 2, I deserve to be left in the midst of my chaos, but my shepherd is merciful and says, no, 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 lie down peacefully in green pastures with me. Verses 2 and 3, his mercy says, you deserve to walk alone, but I'm not going to let that happen. I will guide you. Verse 4, he comes to me and he says, you don't deserve my word or my spirit. You don't deserve it, but my mercy is going to let you have it. I deserve, in verse 5, to face the valleys and the battles alone. But his mercy says, no, come and sit at my table 
with me in the presence of your enemies. Friends, do we see it again? It's God daily expressing mercy to us as his children. We go from enemies of God to friends of God because he is merciful to us. It's the promise from the past. It's God pursuing us even when it doesn't feel like it. We look back on the highlight reel of our lives and we go, my goodness, he was there. I was just focused on other things and I didn't see it. Here's the second thing that I want us to see here. Not only the promise of the past. Actually, let me give you one more illustration here because I think this is important. My kids and I, uh, when it's warm out, we like to go on walks in our neighborhood. We live in a little bit older neighborhood. And so what happens is, is our, our sidewalks. I'm sure your neighborhood has this too. Sidewalks are supposed to do this. But when your neighborhood's a little bit older, what they do is this, which isn't good, right? Because trees grow. And we have these really good ideas of planting these little saplings. But 30 years later, saplings turned into trees. And trees don't like sidewalks is what happens. So our sidewalks do this. So me and my two little girls will go on these walks together. And there's portions where the sidewalk's sticking up three or four inches. It's huge. My girls, they, they don't have this like, ability to walk next to you. They're always like running ahead because they think they're going to miss something. So they're just journeying down the street running. So me and Liz, what we have to do, we've got to run after them. We're chasing them down as we're navigating these sidewalks. Now what we do, because we're decent parents, I don't want to say good because you might judge me, but uh, we're decent parents. As they're running, we're always saying things like, hey, be careful, watch out, sidewalk ahead, don't trip. Hey, make sure you jump over that, be careful, watch out. But you know what inevitably happens? They don't listen. And when they don't listen, this happens every year, multiple times a week typically, they get caught up on one of those big sidewalk things, and there they go spilling onto the concrete. Now, in that moment, it means you have skinned up knees, you got skinned up elbows, maybe a skinned up lip or a face. You know what me and Liz don't do? We don't walk up and go, you deserved that. Sissy. Why are you crying? You're the one that screwed up. Get up and keep going. That's not what we do. What does a good parent do? You help your child up. You wipe off their knees. You say, just be a little bit more careful next time because that's going to happen again just a little bit down the road. And then off they go running. God's goodness is him calling out to us, going, careful, watch out, sidewalk ahead, Make sure you jump or you're going to trip. I'm just telling you, just be careful pursuing us. His mercy then comes along when we mess up and don't listen. And it says, yeah, I probably did deserve that. But let's just wipe off your knees. Keep going. Come on. Let's go. That's his goodness and mercy pursuing us, guys. Here's the second thing. Sorry. The promise toward the future. The promise toward the future. Look at verse 6 here, the second half. David writes these words. He says, I love this. I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. This is the hope of the house that we titled this message. It's this promise of an eternal dwelling with Jesus. Now, how does this really, this part tie back to verses 1 through 5? Well, we see over and over in verses 1 through 5 that there may be times where I just don't feel the truth behind those verses. But the truth is that we're always under the good care of a good God named Jesus. We're always under his protection, his provision. We're under his peace, his providence. We're in the shadow of his presence all the time. But what David reminds us in the second half of verse 6 is the truth of verse 5 carries over into eternity. I love that. 
What we experience in verse 5 is going to carry over with us into eternity. The goodness and mercy that we experience from Jesus in this life is only a taste of what eternity is going to be like for us. A couple of significant things I want us to see here, and then we'll begin to land the plane. First off, David says in the second half of verse 6, I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. As long as I live is a reference to eternity, just in case we're unclear on that. But the word that he uses there is the word dwell. Now, this is so cool. This word, the way that it's written here in Psalm 23.6, is only used two times in the entire Old Testament. The only other time that it's used with these kind of punctuation marks is in Genesis chapter 23, verse 21. It's talking about Jacob actually returning home after he had ran away from his father with the whole soup exchange with Esau. All right? So literally the phrase that he says in Genesis 28, verse 21, is these words. I will return to the home of my father, Jacob. Now watch. For some reason, I'm not sure quite why they did it. They wrote the word well here in my Bible. But there's probably a little footnote in your Bible that says these words. Dwell means return to. Return to. Let's look at that verse again in that context. Psalm 23, verse 6. David says, in the midst of everything he's experienced in the first five verses, and I will return to the house of the Lord as long as I live. Why does that matter? Friends, in the midst of life battles, the valleys, the abundance, the want, the need. Verse 6 reminds us of this. I was actually created for heaven. I was created to exist with Jesus forever. Your life does not find its origin on planet, planet Earth. Did you know that? Your life finds its origin in the mind of God in a place called heaven. You did not become somebody when you arrived on this planet. God had thought of you from eternity past and said, you know what? The world needs one of them. Some of y'all were wondering, but the world needs one of them. You originated in the mind of God. And here's the reminder for us, and I love this, man, is in the midst of the abundance and the want and the valleys and all of those things, David reminds us, I wasn't created for here. He reminds us, as Peter says, that we're aliens in this world. Peter also says that my citizenship is not found here. It's found in heaven. It's why I can live with a loose grip on everything going on around me. Why? Because I'm only here for a short bit. I've had the opportunity many times to travel overseas to other countries. And it's interesting because if another country has some sort of turmoil or unrest or something going on, some sort of tension with the people you're working with, it hurts your heart a little bit, but it's not home for you, so it's different. When it's your home, you care more. And so for us, we're just passing through this world. So I may be in a dark valley. Okay, I'm only going to be there for a season because eternity is a lot longer, and that's my home. I may be surrounded by my enemies. Okay, but eternity's forever, not here. Now watch this. Here's the second part of this. David reminds us, he says, I'm going to return to where? The house of the Lord. The house. Look that word up. You know what it means? Permanent structure, immovable. A place of permanent residency where I live. House. Oh my gosh. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that you and I currently were dwelling in tents. Tents. He says that someday our bodies, these tents that we're living in, they're going to fold up, they're going to be packed away, and we're going to change addresses permanently. I'm not, a, I'm not a camping expert, all right? If you listen to our podcast, you know that. I'm not a camping expert. 
I've been camping, I think, one, maybe two times. The one time I went, I woke up to uh, water in the bottom of my tent. Stupid. I don't get it. If you like camping, you're weird. I don't understand. But the one time that I went camping, woke up to the water, my pillows were all wet. It's silly. I don't understand it. I think it's the worst thing. RV is a little bit different, but why do that when you stay in a hotel? Amen, right? The one thing I could not wait to do when I was going camping was take my tent down and go home. Because I just couldn't stand it. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm not made for this. Tents are not permanent residences or dwelling places. I'm ready to just fold this dude up, throw it in the bag. You can leave it in the woods for all I care. I'm going home. That's the second half of verse 6, y'all. I'm going to go to the house of the Lord forever, to my temporary dwelling place, where I'm going to reside with Jesus forever. So no matter what this life throws my direction or my way, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to give it all I got, but at the end of the day, I'm going home to heaven, and that's where I'm going to play my stake and my claim in. It's like Billy Graham said when he passed away, right before he passed away. When you see Billy Graham's name and he has passed, he said, I did not die, I just changed addresses. That's where I place my hope. Friends, let's close out with this, Psalm 23. We said the very first week that because the Lord is my shepherd, this is all true. Let's read it in light of that and then we'll close. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. Because the Lord is my shepherd, he lets me lie down in green pastures. Because the Lord is my shepherd, he leads me beside quiet waters. Because the Lord is my shepherd, he renews my life and he leads me along right paths. Because the Lord is my shepherd, even when I go through the darkest valley, I don't fear any danger because my shepherd is with me. Because the Lord is my shepherd, his rod and his staff, they comfort me in that dark valley. Because the Lord is my shepherd, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Because the Lord is my shepherd, he anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. Because the Lord is my shepherd, only goodness and faithful love are going to pursue me all the days of my life. And then the final promise, because the Lord is my shepherd, because the Lord is my shepherd, personal God, relationship with us, I will return to the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. God, I pray that the truth of this passage, Lord, whether it is felt or whether it's yet to be experienced, that this truth would implant itself into our hearts. And God, that as we plow through life, Lord, as we step onto these journeys, God, sometimes the journey is full of joy and sometimes it's that dark valley that we'd rest in that promise that because you are a shepherd, these things are true. Father, I pray now as we sing, Lord, that our voices would be a sweet sound to heaven, Lord, that you would tune your ear and lean over from your throne to hear us today. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.